High Noon. This is News Talk. Sure, and no climate scientist is going to say, you know, this particular hurricane was caused by climate change. But what we do know now is because there's more energy in the system as a result of global warming, there's warmer air, there's warmer water, that's causing all storms to be bigger and more intense than they would have had we not emitted all these greenhouse gases. So we now say that every storm is impacted by climate change and that they're more intense. Um, in Ophelia's case, uh, it was able to uh, reach the you know our shores simply because our, our water temperature is warmer than it was in the past. So now the area in which hurricanes can exist is more extensive, and there's peer-reviewed research to say that we can expect to see more hurricanes reaching Western Europe simply because water temperatures are warmer and allowing them to cover more ground. So when you say more hurricanes, are we talking like multiple times a year? Are we talking, you know, just, you know, I mentioned 50 years or 56 years since Hurricane Debbie, just that period might be slightly truncated. Like how much is more? Well, it's hard to make projections in the immediate term, but what the research is saying now is that between now and the end of the century, we can expect a fourfold increase in in the number of storms like Ophelia reaching Western Europe. And in terms of ferocity then, will will that uh, change in climate as well lead to more ferocious storms? Yes, so we are seeing that now with the likes of Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma. I mean, we're seeing much, much bigger storms um, just because there's the water, the warmer water, and there's warmer, uh, there's water vapor in the atmosphere now. There's more water vapor in the atmosphere than there was 30 years ago. There's about 4% more, and we know for every one degree that we warm the air's temperature, it can hold 7% more water vapor. So we simply have more moisture to drive bigger storms. Yeah, and we have seen a, a number of storms, particularly uh, uh, in, in the United States and across the Caribbean as well this year. Uh, have they increased in, in severity and increased in number as well? Because I've heard someone make the argument that, you know, this is a version of, is it the Bader-Meinhof thing? You know, someone says, have you seen all the magpies? And suddenly you start noticing magpies everywhere. That, you know, we're just talking about them more, but there aren't any more of them. Are there more? Um, well, the numbers on how many more are harder to estimate because, of course, our, our our observation systems have improved since we had satellites and everything. So that's, that's harder to track okay. um, historically. But we certainly do have data to, to say they're more intense um, and they're bigger than they were. Now, you were writing today in the Irish Independent about uh, Ireland's role in, in climate change and battling climate change. What's your assessment of of how we're doing at the moment, because I know we had uh, the, the, a, a more detailed national mitigation plan published uh, in recent months from uh, Dennis Nocton, the minister in this area. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting that every minister uh, today is, is going around saying we can expect more of this because of climate change. And of course, they did the same thing in 2015 when we had the Midlands uh, flooding. Uh, and yet, you know, they say these things and seem to be doing nothing about it. In fact, what we know is that at the European level, uh, Ireland has been negotiating to to cut deals to have to do less work on emissions. So we're one of the worst in the world in terms of reducing our greenhouse gas emissions, and and in fact our our emissions are going up instead of down. So in the rest of Europe, um, countries' emissions are going down, and ours are are increasing. So you know we're why? Really what what are we doing that 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 everyone else in Europe has stopped doing or um, doing differently? Well, we're not moving fast enough, so um, we're not we're not too bad on on energy, though we should be doing more. But um, we haven't really tackled emission reductions in agriculture; they've kind of flatlined. Um, and then, more, I think, more worryingly, is that our transport emissions are rapidly rising. So, because we didn't address this during the Celtic Tiger years, 
and then we saw our transport emissions fall uh, because of the economic crash, but yet we still have done nothing. So now that our economy is improving again, we're seeing transport emissions uh, increasing, I think, up to uh, 20, nearly 20% in the next two years. So um, it's very scary what's happening in transport with respect to emissions. Yeah, Ireland, I suppose you've got, uh, transport has, th- th- there's two issues to that, isn't there? There's the amount of cars on the road. Now you could switch all of them to electric or you could, you know, you could make them more hybrid or make them more fuel efficient, whatever it happened to be in the morning. But uh, people will say that actually years of bad planning is also the problem with transport, that the Irish population is spread out around the country and will never, while that's the case, have a public transport system that will be able to, I suppose, take up some of the slack in terms of of climate emissions. So what what can Ireland do short of forcing people into living in kind of bigger conurbations? Yeah, sure. I mean, planning is the bane of a lot of our problems, um, not just on climate change. But, um, you know, there are things we could be doing right now that our government has shown no interest in doing. And one of those things is simply diverting a bit of the transport budget into cycling infrastructure. So we have a a, a very bad obesity problem in this country. We have a mental health problem, and we have a, a, a climate problem. Uh, all of which would, ha- where cycling would really help with alleviate alleviating some of those issues. And um, and yet we find time and time again, despite a very uh, strong effort by NGOs and cycling campaigns. Um, that the government just isn't prioritizing good, safe cycling infrastructure. And I'm talking about the kind of cycling infrastructure that you would feel safe enough to let your children ride on. That is the standard we need. That's the standard that's been set in places like the Netherlands. Um, We need to get people on their bikes and walking. I mean, half of the the journeys people are taking that are under two kilometers right now are done by car. And that is crazy. I mean, that is just, um, that doesn't make any sense. It's a highly inefficient way. And, you know, we need to be getting out and moving more and getting more exercise. And so simply doing that would be a quick way of addressing this problem. And yet we we see the transport uh, authority having no interest in this. Given the increase um, of our emissions as a result of, of transport, were you surprised that uh, excise on diesel wasn't increased in the budget last week? Yes, I was very surprised. I mean, the OECD and the European Commission have said that Ireland's excise uh, duties on diesel are completely out of line with what we know about environmental health. So what we know is that 1,500 people a year right now are dying in Ireland as a result of poor air quality. And when we compare that to the number of road deaths, you know, the number of road deaths now is under 200 people a year. So this is a serious, serious problem. And we have an excise duty that actually makes it 10% cheaper for you to fill up your, your diesel vehicle at the pump than your petrol vehicle. And that, and that is completely out of line with the uh, public health crisis that we are facing regarding air quality. Now, I'm kind of saving the best to last. We haven't talked about farming yet. And one mm-hmm. of the big criticisms of Dennis Nocklin's plan when he published it was essentially the leeway it gave to farming. It just, like, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was kind of, you know, farming is the bedrock of the Irish economy. economy. Let's not do anything to harm that. Is that is that a fair assessment? Um, yeah, there is there is a sense there that you know let's keep the status quo going, and uh, quite frankly, I, I, it doesn't make sense to me because what I see is farmers struggling to make an income uh, a lot of times, and I don't think the status quo is working for a lot of farmers. Um, I think the low carbon transition is an opportunity for Irish farmers to diversify their products. Uh, to think beyond beef and dairy and think beyond intensification. Um, and, and so I think they absolutely should be doing their part. And I think we have an opportunity. A lot of our farmer, most of our farmers know their carbon footprint. Um, 
And so, you know, with knowledge, we can begin to tackle it. And, and we should. Every sector needs to, to do their fair share to address this issue. And, um, and our government policies are completely out of line with doing their fair share because their focus is completely on doubling the herd size or increasing the herd size, which which will definitely have an impact on uh, climate change. Yeah, simply put, we should have more tillage farming. Is that it? Uh, any kind of diversification would, would get us out of beef and dairy. So tillage is one option. Um, there are farmers that are getting in more back into orchard growing. There are farmers who want to contribute to uh, renewable energy through biomass or putting solar panels on their on their sheds. Um, they could be using their slurry to contribute to anaerobic digestion of biogas. Um, so there are a lot of opportunities to diversify. And I think, we're, you know, our government policy just doesn't consider those opportunities enough. Um, forestry would be another example. Yeah, we'll, we'll always get texts in when we're doing this. We'll get a certain amount of texts in, obviously, denying climate change. There will be people who text in who say, look, what, like, what's the point in, you know, some farmer out in the Midlands uh, halving his herd size when you've got huge tracts of the Amazon being felled so that, you know, in Brazil, they can increase their herd size exponentially. Like they are the, the big polluters are, are, are continuing apace. Why bother do anything here? Yeah, well, this is the the problem with acting on climate as a whole, and this is the attitude that has got us exactly where we are, which is, you know, if I don't, why should I do something about this global problem um, because somebody else might not? We can't really worry about what Brazil is doing. I mean, you know, any country that has signed on to the United Nations Paris Agreement has committed to reduce their emissions, so we have to take them at their word that we're doing that, and we have to sort our own houses out, but we can't use other countries as an excuse not to act. I mean, we have a real opportunity here for leadership and to to set the pace, and, and instead what we're finding is other countries like China um, are, in fact, leading this transition, and Ireland is very much getting left behind because they're ignoring it. So we're, we're finding quite the opposite situation at the moment. The Citizens' Assembly are going to be looking at this issue uh, in early November, I think it is. What are you hoping to come out of that? I'm very excited about the Citizens' Assembly because they've had such an impact on on other issues like marriage equality and uh, the Eighth Amendment issue. Um, and, and so they have an opportunity now to really shake things up with the government and force them to to properly act on climate change based on their recommendations. And so far, their, their meeting uh, back in September was very informative, and, and the comments coming out of the Assembly were were very informative. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they say on the weekend of the 4th of November because that's when they'll make their decisions. And um, and it's a you know it's a world it's a world first to see such an innovative democratic structure uh, tackling climate change. So it's the first time really that Ireland could potentially call itself a leader in climate uh, if, if we see strong recommendations coming out of the Assembly. Okay, Dr. Cara Augustenberg, who is the chairperson of Friends of the Earth Europe and a lecturer in climate and environment at University College, College Dublin. Uh, Dr. Augustenberg, thanks very much for speaking to us here on High Noon. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment.